All right, hey church, uh, take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going uh, to be. Give a couple things. First of all, good morning to the folks watching at different places around Western North Carolina. Man, so glad that uh, you're part of what God's doing at Biltmore Church. And also, if you were watching online, thank you so much for joining us. Quick shout out to a few different folks, Dennis and Darlene uh, from Pennsylvania and Laura from Franklin, North Carolina. Laura, we got a great church for you right there in Franklin. And uh, the Bremers from Zealand. Michigan. I know you're pretty fired up about your Wolverines, so uh, congratulations on being 5-0 and o up in Michigan. Hey, and then uh, one, of, one other thing. It's like better than any airplane I've ever made. All right, so, um, but here, if, you, uh, if you're watching online, by the way, you can do this just by putting your comments. We'll fill one of these out for you. But a quick explanation of what was briefly mentioned a few minutes ago is, uh, as you know, what we're trying to do, what we tried to do this past week and what we still have some things to do this week is we want to give honor to those who deserve honor. And everybody, nobody's saying, man, the last 18 months has been easy. It's been difficult for virtually everybody, but particularly difficult uh, for those that are uh, frontline workers as well as first responders, all right? And one of the things that we want to do, and this week was fun to do all the ice cream trucks and all the gift bags and all that stuff, that's good. But one of the things that is amazing is when they can actually open up a little card like this and say, you know what, those people actually, you know, they, they care about what we do. And so again, whether it be a policeman or a fireman or a frontline hospital worker, all you've got to do is simply just say, and you don't have to know somebody's name, just dear hero, thank you so much for all that you do, particularly these last 18 months. We are, ble we are a blessed people because of what you do and how you serve our community. Just something like that, all right? And then you can put it in a, uh, basically there's a basket or some kind of container as you leave whichever campus you're on in the lobby. If you're like, I don't want to do that right now, you can do it after church. You can, this is the first time you can write something different uh, during the sermon besides sermon notes. All that is permissible today, uh, and then and, and you can bring it back next week, and then we will begin distributing those uh, through the connect groups. But again, frontline workers, first responders, and hey, I don't know, let's just do this at all the campus. I know we've got some watching online, and I know we've got a bunch that uh, were not able to be put in the video, but uh, let me just say this, and here's what, if, if, you're a, if you're a first responder, or if you're a frontline worker from just Biltmore Church, uh, we cannot uh, say thank you enough, but hopefully it is symbolic, just like a 10 seconds of a massive round of applause. And if you're here, let's just, anyway, everybody else, put your hands together and just thank all our first men. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you so much. Man, thank you so much. Man, you are, uh, you are prayed for, and we are grateful for you. And I just, church, just one more way that we demonstrate our values. I wanted you to notice that that policeman in there, he had a German shepherd. There was no cat on the end of that leash, just to, just to point that out, all right? So Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be, all right? And uh, one of the things that happened this past week is we had four different uh, starting points around Western North Carolina. There's a couple more coming up at uh, a couple of the campuses, and uh, make sure you're signed up for that. But one of the coolest things, and I've told you before, the starting points are some of my favorite times. Uh, because we get to hear all these stories. We get to hear stories. We get to meet new people. Uh, I'm like, I'm not an extrovert, but I'm a trained introvert. And one of the things that I really like is just listening to stories. Where people are from, uh, how do they move to Western North Carolina, uh, what's their background, but, and all that stuff is good and fun, but without a doubt, the most rewarding thing, the most, 
the most awesome thing to hear is their story about how they came to faith in Christ. All right, what was their story? And what we call those, we call those testimonies, all right? Testimonies. And sometimes people confuse a testimony uh, with a biography. And you just need to understand that those are very, very, very different. Because today we have a fascination with biographies, all right? There's a biography channel uh, on talk radio and all these other ones. It's about biographies and biographies and biographies. And biographies are fun. I mean, who doesn't like to listen to a story about somebody who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps or overcame opposition or had circumstances that were super dire, but they persevered through and they made it? What I want you to see and what we're going to see in the text today is there is a huge difference between a biography and a, and a testimony. And basically the difference between a biography and a testimony is God. That's the difference. Because a biography is like, this is what I did. A testimony is this is what God did. A biography is, you know what, they're the winner. It's about them. They're the winner. A testimony is God is the winner. In a biography, it's, it's really about, about their glory, about my glory, and look what I did. A testimony is about God's glory, and look what God did. Now, church, here's what we've got to understand. The Bible teaches us, the Bible teaches us that we are not to seek to have a biography in which we are the hero, which we are the victor, which we are the subject matter, which we are the one that is triumphant. But we are to have a testimony where it shows that God is the hero, God is the one that brought triumph, God is the victor, and it is about God. And so we're going to be asking the question throughout today is, am I living for a, am I living for a testimony or am I living for a biography? Am I living for a biography, something that's about me and it's about what they're going to think about me and think about how awesome I am, or is it a testimony, look how awesome God is? Because what we want to do is live so that others not are impressed with us or what we've done, about, but about Jesus and what he has done. So if you haven't been with us or this is your first time back in a long time as we kind of come out of this crazy season, uh, you just need to understand that we've been in this series really starting in January called The Year of the Bible. And there's tons of free resources online, and that's for you, and a ton of, ton of stuff is really there if you have the privilege of being a parent, I mean, or if you're married, or if you just have a friend group, all of that, it is to be collective in the sense that you have resources no matter where you are in your spiritual pilgrimage. If you're still kicking the tires, there's stuff there that would answer the hard questions. If you were trying to figure out, how do I pray with my spouse, there's stuff there. If you have really, you're a disciple and you have some questions about some hard Bible question, it's there as well. But what we are is we are in a little mini-series called The Movement Continues, and it's out of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is like the first 30 years of church history. In the church history, the first 30 years, it was more of a movement than it was a building. It was a movement that was built around the conviction that... A Jewish man had died for the sin debt of the world. They put him in a grave and he came up out of that grave and he showed himself to 500 and plus people and then he sent these people out. And now it is, it is the largest movement that the world has ever seen. And it all came from 12 uh, fishermen, uh, tax collectors, uh, people that you and I, we would like, that resume does not give you the ability to work at, at your work. So all that being said, um, Acts chapter 9 is a, the most famous testimony in the Bible. And it's the testimony of a guy named the Apostle Paul. You'll see him referred to as Saul in this story. But it's the most famous testimony. Now in Acts chapter 9, we see it actually develop 
but it's also repeated. Paul uses it in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. And it shows us that he never got over his testimony. He never got over the story of how God worked in his life. And my hope and my prayer for today is two things. Number one, that if you have a story, that you would revisit that story and be amazed once again. Be amazed. This is what God has done in my life. Because Paul's story is actually your story. All right? The circumstances change, but it's the same story. But it's also, if you're watching online or at one of our campuses, it would be to say, do I have a story? Because if you're like, I don't know if I have a story, but please hear me on this. I'm not trying to judge where you are, but if you don't know if you have a story, you probably don't have a story. Because there's nobody in the Bible that's like, you know what? I wonder if I've actually encountered the risen Christ in my life. And so you don't want to roll the dice on this. So we want to reflect back on the story if we have one. And uh, we want to make sure we have one to begin with. And so uh, let me say one other thing before we get in here. Some, I'm going to be referring to a couple of the other times Paul uses his testimony. As I said, it's in Acts 22 and Acts 26. And what I've told you a couple of times when we've looked at, it's usually like in the sense of the parallel gospels or parallel accounts in the gospels, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have a lot of stories that are told in all three and I said it's, but you get a little bit different perspective on all three. And what I've usually used the analogy is it's the same with this. You've got three different accounts of his testimony, and there's tons that are exactly the same, but also not every jot and tittle is done in every single one. And so think about it like this you're watching one game from three different perspectives. And so Saturday was college football day, and whatever your favorite team is, I mean, my Red Faders, I mean, they beat West Virginia, and so I watched the highlights of that. And I watched the highlights on my phone, I watched the highlights on ESPN, and then I watched the highlights on like some Fox Sports, all right? And what I saw is they typically showed different highlights, same game, different highlights. Think about Paul's testimony that way. We're gonna look at, we're gonna look at like the game, but you're also gonna see some different highlights come in and when you, when you go through this story, I want you to see again, okay, that's my story. That's my story. Or do I have a story? All right, so here's where we are. Acts chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to give you kind of three main things to think about that happens every time. If you have a story, this is how it worked. Now, you might not have seen it happening when it happened, but this is what was going on in your story, whether you knew it or not. Number one, just think about the fact that God pursues you. God pursues you. Verse one, and Saul, or but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now stop real quick. If you're new to Bible study, I mean, this is like the most, other than Jesus, this is like as significant a character in the New Testament. This guy wrote a ton of the books of the Bible. But right now, right now, he's basically a terrorist who is going after the Christians. That's why he calls them the way. Right? Christian, the term Christian was actually a pejorative term initially. He's like, those little Christ, that's what they call them. And so here he's like the way, they're known as the way, and probably coming from John 14 where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to their father but by me. But he goes to the high priest. The high priest had jurisdiction and basically gave him permission. You go, and because the people had started to scatter, you go and you can round up the Christians. So think about it. Don't whitewash this. Don't put this out there where you're like, you know what? Uh, this is flannel graph stuff. This guy is a terrorist. 
When you and I see stuff on the news and we look over and we see some of our brothers and sisters around the world and they're undergoing persecution right now and you see some of the slaughter just because they're Christ followers and like, that is so bad. That's what's going on here. Uh, Acts 26 uses the word ravage, that he ravaged the church. Chapter 7 of Acts, he actually looks by while the first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen, is hit with rocks so that he eventually dies. And before he dies, he prays that the ones that are actually stoning him would come to Christ. So again, don't stop praying for the people you're praying for. And so that's what's going on. He's going there and he's going to bring grandma back. He's going to bring dad back. He's going to bring kids back. He bow, the word bound there is the idea he binds their hands, he binds their feet, and he marches them about 140 miles or so back from this place called Damascus. He's going to march them back to Jerusalem to put them in jail or to have them executed. Verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which real quick, before we go into God's pursuit of you, understand, you understand what he's saying? Jesus so connects himself to the church that when the church was being persecuted, Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He actually says, why are you persecuting me? Which helps us remember, Jesus says, you know what? The church is my body. The church is my bride. It's to remember that, you know, you and I can't say, I love Jesus and I hate the church. You can't. That's, you can't say that any more than you can say, man, we love you, Bruce. We just don't like Lori. That, just, that doesn't fly anywhere. And so Jesus says, listen, what you're doing to my church, you are doing, you are doing to me. And so God pursued him. God pursued him. Now, loved ones, whether you knew it or not, whether you knew it or not, if you have a story, you were running from God in one of two ways. And people still, we run from God in one of two ways. When God is pursuing, because the Bible says nobody comes to the Father unless they're drawn, all right? So you might say, well, I was seeking God. Actually, God was seeking you. God was pursuing you. We reject God or run from God in one of two basic ways. One of them is rebellion, and one of them is religion. And you actually, to some degree, see both of them in the Apostle Paul. One of them is rebellion. Rebellion's the one we think about when we think about somebody running from God. Rebellion says, I do what I want, when I want, with who I want. You're not the boss of me. I am the boss of me. I'm the one that calls the shot. Somebody said this. Somebody said that the letter I obviously is the middle letter. It's right in the middle of sin. All right, so really the epitome of sin is the fact that it's about me, I call the shots, I am the boss. Now sometimes this looks super obvious. Sometimes this looks like just self-destruction. Self-destruction, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Uh, he's like, man, obviously that person is destroying themselves. And in some ways, this looking back, this looks like the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy is a terrorist. He's actually killing people. So sometimes that's what it looks like. It looks like self-destruction. But most of the time, particularly here in the West, or oftentimes in the West here, it doesn't look as much like self-destruction as it looks like self-improvement. Because self-improvement is basically, uh, self-improvement is, you know what, if, if I could just, and just go to the bookstore, I don't even know if those will be around in 10 years, but just go, go and look at books and you will see the biggest section of books is just self-improvement. Just self-improvement. I want to be a better version of me. Now that varies on what the better version is of you. 
A better version of you might be, you know what, I want to look better. I want to have be in better shape. I want to have six-pack abs. I want to have a better education, better job, better house, better hair, whatever that is. You're like, if I can just do that. And the lie we buy into, loved ones, it's not, nothing that, none of that stuff is wrong, but the lie that we always buy into, and we do it over and again, we've all done it, is that, you know what, if I could just have that, I would be satisfied. If I could just find my soulmate, then I would be content. If I could just land that next position, then I would be content. If I could just get in shape, then I would be content. If I could just make the ball team, then everything would be awesome. And what's funny is, is like some of y'all actually said that like 10 years ago. You said it 10 years ago, you, and whatever the blank was, you know, if I had this money or if I had this marriage or whatever, you said it 10 years ago, and here we are 10 years later, and you're still miserable. And you're still like, man, I, I, well, I got to set some different goals, and I got to set some different stuff. And, and you're running from God, and again, and sometimes it looks like that. It just looks like rebellion. And uh, what, uh, what you just need to understand is there's a God-shaped vacuum in your hole that none of that stuff is going to fill at all. So sometimes it's rebellion, but sometimes it's actually religion. That's the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was what they called a Pharisee. A Pharisee, the word Pharisee means separated. And what they were is they were the people that really took the Bible, the Old Testament, they really took it seriously. I mean, they memorized it, they read it, they studied it, all that kind of stuff. And then what they did is the word separation is they would separate themselves from the bad people and let's go over here and let's study and let's be separated. And so this was, this was religion. And what is religion? Religion is self-improvement with a choir robe. That's what religion is. It's just self-improvement with a choir robe. I'm going to try hard enough. I'm going to keep the rules. I'm going to earn God's approval. I'm going to try to obey the pro- Here's what you got to understand. you got to understand this. The problem with religion, I know we talk about it all the time, the difference between the gospel and religion. And we do that on purpose. It's because there is a natural bend. It's almost like that riptide at, a, at the ocean. It's that current. If we're all, I think Luther said it this way, we are always drifting toward works righteousness. Works righteousness is just another word for religion. I'm going to do something, self-justification. I'm going to do something so God will be happy with the way that I perform. And the problem with that is, here's the main thing to easily understand this. The main problem is not that we are bad people who need to be made good. Got to get that. We're not bad people who need to be made good, all right? We are dead people who need to be made alive. That's the whole difference. We're dead. He would say in Ephesians, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You weren't on oxygen. You weren't on life support. You were not like mostly dead. You weren't any of those things. You were dead, absolutely dead. And because you're dead, and we religion, what religion does is religion says, I'm going to try harder. And that's what Paul was. I mean, think about how angry Paul had to be. I mean, he's like, I'm going to please God by killing the Christians. These people who are blasphemers, Jesus said he's God, and that can't be it. And so he's angry, and he thinks he's serving God by going and doing this stuff. And so when you look at it, um, by the way, uh, two things happen here. And it happens with religion. And we briefly mentioned it last week. Is if you are religious and you're really zealous for religion, you're either going to have pride or you're going to have despair. Pride because you know what? I'm doing well and other people are not. I'm doing good. That's Paul. I'm doing good. Paul actually went to, he had like the best seminary prof as well. He had like the best seminary prof, went to the best schools. He was from a place called Tarsus that it was no, it's kind of like, for I don't mean to, 
it was kind of like Chapel Hill, all right? Tar- Tarsus was known as, the only thing they knew Tarsus was is the university, the university. That was better than even like the Athens University. And so this was known as like, I'm an intellectual and I'm smart and I'm better and I'm obeying the law and you guys aren't. As a matter of fact, you're blaspheming talking about this guy, Jesus. And so what happens is pride, which by the way, just a quick little note, that's why sometimes if a person is religion, religious and not saturated with the gospel, those are some of the meanest people around. Come on, don't look at me like that. You know, it's some religious people, all right? Some Baptist people, let's be clear, are some of the meanest people around if they are not saturated with the gospel. Why? Because we do good, we're better, you guys are sinners, get your skibulon together and everything will be good. And that's just pride. Or it leads to, on the other side, if you mess up, and this is where a lot of us are, this is where shame ends up taking you down all the way, and that is despair. You try hard. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try hard. But then you fail again. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to stop doing that. And then you do it again. I'm going to break. And then you do it again. <laughs> and you try, but you got to understand it's not about trying harder. It is, you're dead. You do not have the ability to do what you're trying to do. You just don't. Maybe for a day, maybe for a week, but you do not have that ability It'd be like, uh, and so when somebody, when some preacher gets up and says, try harder, try harder, the impact of that is like if you're at the gym and you got some guy over there and he weighs maybe like a buck 30 and he's trying to bench press 400 pounds and you can walk by him and that guy's like, he can't even move it off. He can't even move it. How much good does it do when you walk by him and go, try harder, suck it up, man. Come on, try harder. It, It does not help at all. He needs a spotter. He needs somebody to come over there and help him with those weights. And that's what religion is just, you know what? You do it and you do not have the ability. And so in this case, Paul is actually worse than you and he's also better than you. There's probably, I'm hoping, praying. You got no terrorists in here, hoping. All right, if not, we got security around here that will take care of that. But bottom line is, some of you are like, but he's also better than you. He's better than you. Whatever you think you do good, I help out at the soup kitchen and I put a dollar in the plate or whatever it is that you, you know, I don't honk at Florida drivers. Whatever it is, you're like, you know what? He's better than you. Better than you. Memorized books of the Bible and not the fun books like James or Philippians and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He like did the hard books. Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Anybody got that down? He's better than you, but in this case, he's also worse. And here's what I want you to understand is God saved Paul at his worst. He saved him at his worst. This story does not say Saul, when he got his act together, Jesus then came to him. The story is when he was a wretched, murderous terrorist, Jesus showed up in his life, which while we are saying over and over again, God is not in love with some future version of you. He's not in love with some future version of you. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get my stuff together and then I'm going to come to God. That is stupid. Don't do that. First of all, you're never going to get your act together. I'm going to come to you at your worst. And so it's not a matter of saying, all right, I'm going to get my act together and then come to God. 
God is not in love with, I can't wait till Susie gets her act together, then I'll love. He loves you. And so what he wants to do is come in there and pursue you and say, you know what? I love you. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to change you. That's why, as I'm going to say twice today, you don't, Christians should not be walking with either a limp or a swagger. You don't walk with a limp like, oh, I'm just, you know, it's just, I'm just a sinner saved by God. On the other hand, you knew that you were so bad, Jesus had to die for you, but you're so loved, he chose to die for you. So the first thing you got to understand is whether you knew it or not, God was pursuing you. Now look how the story goes on. It's just, let's go one verse. Look at verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Okay. Um, so God pursues. And then secondly, uh, God pursued you. And then if you have a story, God saved you. God saved you. Now, I know as soon as I say the word saved, especially if you're new to church, that might cause you a little tremor because, um, and it kind of makes, uh, makes a few folks kind of cringe. You know why? Because I know not growing up in church, when I would hear the word saved, what I would hear is, uh, or what I would picture in my mind, let's just be, okay, this is just what I pictured, all right? So don't judge me. I just, what I pictured was kind of the, overweight preacher with a suit that's too small, with a tie that went down to here, and he said saved in four syllables. Say yabada! And his eyes were bulging out, and he had a vein right here, and then, and that's what I pictured. That's what I pictured. Don't judge me. I'm just saying that's what I pictured. But the truth of the matter is, what better word could there be? Uh, made over? No, God didn't make us over. Um, polished up a bit? No. Saved is a great word. Saved is a Bible word. And that's what he does to the apostle Paul. And I love this. He calls him by name. Do you notice that? He's like, Saul, Saul. And he calls you by name. That's what's awesome. Six billion people in the world, coming up on seven billion people in the world, and he knows your name, your first name. Just let that sink down. The God of the universe called you by name. When I was a 17-year-old kid in Texas, he called me by name. Bruce, bro, he's calling me by name. And that's amazing. And so he pursues me, and then he saves me, and he saves me individually. And uh, one of the things you, you got to understand is sometimes he saves the people that are least likely to be saved. Least likely to be saved. The Apostle Paul would have been voted in his high school least likely to be saved. Least li- he got voted least likely to be saved. And this is where you got to understand, like Isaiah 59.1 says, is our, is our ar- is the, are the arms of the Lord uh, too short to save? And you got to understand, no. We do not like serve a, a, I always think of the T-Rex guy. You know, like, it's not like I don't have, I got these short arms and I can't save anybody. No, that's not it. He saves people and a lot of times it's the people you never would have guessed. I'm going to show you one time about, because we spent about seven years in Tulsa growing up, and because of what God's done at the church, this magazine in Tulsa did, a, did kind of a little write-up on you guys and, and me and, and these people. My brother, who still lives in Tulsa, he's like, all these people are coming up to me. Because I was a wretched drunk, even in junior high, just so you know that. And so they were coming up to me, and they were reading this magazine like, that guy's a preacher now? That guy's a pastor now? That's not the guy I knew in 10th grade. Well, God saves, all right? Let's just call that grace. And least likely to be saved, and there's two things that are hard to believe in this story. That you and I, again, are so bad, Jesus had to die for our sins. That's what you just got to get down. 
That's how you keep grace fresh. I was so bad Jesus had to die for my sins, and yet so loved he chose to. So the question is, how is God pursuing you, or how did he pursue you? There's a verse that I'm going to show on the screen, and it's from one of those other passages that I mentioned. So don't turn to it, just listen to it. Let me explain how this works. In one of those other ones, in Acts 26, verse 14, here's what it says. And this is, again, he's telling his testimony. So, again, he's, ref- he's telling the story of Acts 9 years later, in this case to a king. And he's like, I'm looking back and I'm looking back on how God saved me. And all those years had given him some time to reflect on what God used to bring him to himself. In Acts 26, 14, he says this, And when we had all fallen to the ground, talking about Acts 9, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We got that from Acts 9. But then he adds this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Like, what in the world is that? What is that? Now, a goad is actually a Roman phrase that equaled like feudal resistance. It's like you're trying to resist, but you can't resist. Technically, it was like a super sharp object that when the ox would like get really frisky and try to start kicking and so forth, there were these really sharp objects that when he would kick, it would poke him to teach the ox to stop kicking. And so what he's, what he's reflecting back on is like there was some stuff that was kicking at his own soul that he could not, he could not get away from. And the more he kicked, the more it hurt. And the point is this, when we reject God, we're the ones that suffer. And Paul's testimony is, I had to run from God. I had to run from God. I was running from God. But every time I ran from God, there was something he was using to prod my soul, to poke my soul, even to the extent of pain. Now, listen, let's just let's step away from it because we don't know exactly what it was. But so there's Bible and this is Bruce. So let me just ask the questions. What was it that God was using to poke his soul? Now, we don't know, but here's some things that are possible. Maybe... If you remember, you go back to Acts 7. Maybe it was when Saul is looking at the first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen, and watched how Stephen died. Watched how he actually, while he was dying, much like he saw Jesus do, he's actually praying for the ones that were killing him. Maybe that was it. Maybe, because remember, he'd already taken a bunch of other people, some grandmoms and some dads and all these people, and he'd already done that. He'd already taken them back, and maybe he saw the way they treated him even though he was treating them terrible. Maybe that was it. Either way, let me, this is something that we talk about. I, talk, I, I remind you this like four or five times a year. Over the last whatever years, okay, let me just, as a church, we've been able to see thousands and thousands of adults get baptized. Okay, kids are awesome, teenagers are amazing. But when you see adults get baptized, I say that to say all the stories are virtually identical. They're all this, now that the details change, but the adult conversions and the adult baptisms, when you hear their stories, they're almost all the same, and they're very much like Paul's, very much like Paul's. Here's basically every adult conversion story over just thousands of people over the last several years is this, is this. I was walking along thinking my thing was working out pretty good, was going along thinking my deal was working, that... uh, Christians were just a bunch of cripples and Christianity was just a crutch and that's all it is. And boom, God dropped a boulder on my life. And then I realized I was the cripple. Then I realized I wasn't too sexy for my shirt. 
Then I realized, you know what? I don't have it all together. Every single time, that's the story. Now, the boulder and what that boulder is, that does change. That changes, but it's a boulder nonetheless. And those boulders might be your spouse comes to you unexpectedly and says, it's over. I found somebody else. Keep the house. It could be the fact of uh, some profound loss, the loss of a dream, the loss of a career, the loss of a loved one. It could be just the fact that even though you're in this beautiful western North Carolina with all these waterfalls and all these people with smiles on their faces, there's just an incredible sense of loneliness that you have, that you can be in a sea of people and yet be incredibly lonely. And you're like, I hate that, I hate that, and it's painful, and I don't like it at all. It could be an addiction that you've tried and tried and you can't beat. You try, you have periods of success, and you fall right back into it, and you're about ready to just wave the white flag. It might be the fact that the American dream that you thought would be, I mean, everybody goes for that. It could be the fact that the American dream couldn't fill the longing in your soul. It could be the shame of some sin, and you're finally realizing, you know what, that shame can only be carried away by a sinless Savior, and you're like, that's the only thing that can help. Uh, maybe it's the fact that you saw something in some friends. Maybe they brought you to church, invited you to watch online, and you saw something in their life that you know you didn't have no matter how much of a face you put up front. That's my story, by the way. That's my story. I had a lot of stuff going on, or I thought I did. I mean, as much you can have going on as a 17-year-old. But I looked at older brother and two younger brothers, and in spite of the fact that I had what I thought was a lot of accomplishments and a lot of stuff, I looked at them and I was like, man, they've got something that I cannot fake. Whether I don't even know how to describe it now, whether it be peace or purpose or something, I'm like, listen, when I lie my head on the pillow, I don't have what those guys say. No matter how much fun I make of them, I don't have that. And so while a basketball coach was the one that says, hey, pray this prayer and I'll lead you to Christ, bottom line is it was the, fa- it was the kicking against the goads of watching people that had something that I could not say that I have. And so God pursues you and that God does stuff like that. He pursues you by using that. And he's pursuing some of you right now. Then God wants to save you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to save you, to have you say, you know what? I'm not the boss of me any longer. You're the boss of me. That what you did on that cross counted for me. That I'm actually believing that you paid for my sin debt. You paid for my sin debt. When you said it is finished, that counted for me. That's being saved. And um, here's the way the story goes. Look at verse 6, and then we're going to skip down a little bit. So God pursues you. God saves you. And verse 6 says, I mean, it's right after this. Think about it. It's right after. He didn't go to a baptism class. He didn't go to a, you know, two years before God can send you out. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you were to do. One of the other, 22 or 26, Paul actually says, what do you want me to do, Lord? It's called surrender. Skip down to verse 13. It says this, but Ananias, because here's basically here's what happened. Uh, the Lord speaks to a guy named Ananias, not the Ananias in chapter 5 that gets, you know, gets killed, not that guy, because... He's dead. So there's another guy named Ananias who's a disciple, apparently, and what they think is that he was probably a leader in the church at Damascus. So check this out. You got a guy, and he doesn't know about the conversion of Paul at this point. No indication he knows. But God shows up to this disciple and says, hey, there's a guy named named Saul, and he's on his way here. And I want you to go over there, and he's kind of been blinded, and you're going to put your hands on him, and he's going to get his eyesight back. But he's like, ah, And, and even a faithful disciple like Ananias is going, ah, uh, Lord, don't you know that like he's already, he's like been killing our people. All right. He's been killing our people. He's like, go, he's a special instrument for me. 
And after a little bit of bargaining and uh, bartering, he's like, all right, I will go. I will go. And here's where verse 13 starts. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, Gentiles is just think non-Jew, and kings and the children of Israel. All right, so what happens here? You got God pursues you. God pursues you. He pursues you, and that's amazing. He calls you by name. Then he saves you as you repent and believe in Jesus. And then right after that, he doesn't put you up in a monastery. He doesn't say, go have a three-year quiet time. What does he do? He sends you out. And so God takes the greatest enemy of the church and makes him the greatest missionary of the church. And one of the things you see in his life that I want us to, I want us to embrace today is he never got over the grace of God in his life. He never got over the grace of God. The gospel always stunned him. He's always looking back. Even when he's an old man, he's looking back and he's like, man, how did God take me, save me after all the stuff I'd done, save me, and then put me out to be a missionary? He's like, it, it blows him away. That's why a lot of times in his letters, he like ends with this doxology. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I mean, he just, he's like writing and writing and then it just goes into this song. And, and, and you see that a lot with people. There's a guy named John uh, Newton. He's the one that wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if you've been in church, you might have heard this story, but he was a slave trader, a slave trader. And God got a hold of him. And at one point, he looks up at the slave boat, and he's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I did that. I enslaved families. Sounds very similar to the Apostle Paul. I enslaved families. How could I do that? And that's why when he's writing this song, he's like, how could he save a wretch like me? Now, just a quick little note. A lot of times, people are getting away from that. Okay, I'm going to just say right now, we're going to always, we're always going to keep wretch in there. But a lot of times, a lot of churches, they're getting away from changing the words wretch like me. And here's some of the ways they're changing it. Some of them are changing it to quote, saved and strengthened me. Or another one is saved and set me free. And again, if you do some research, why they changed it is they didn't like the concept of being wretches that needed to be saved. It's, it was too humiliating. Okay, kill us to me. The gospel humbles us. We are wretches. You and I did not need some makeup. We did not need to be patted on the butt and say, good job, go out there and do better. We needed to be resurrected from the deadness of our souls. And uh, we should never, ever, ever get over that. We, he rescues you, sends you out on the rescue team. Let me give you one verse that he, he'd say later on. It's not in the last book, but a later book that he wrote. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And he says this to a young pastor who's kind of like not super bold and he's a little bit self-conscious. And he said, listen, Jesus came to save sinners. And he says, of whom I am the foremost. I am the chief. Another place says, I am the chief of sinners. And what he's doing is he's, even later on, he's pointing out, he's being real. I mean, that's why, I mean, honestly, that, 
That's why I tell you stories that are a little embarrassing, like breaking the wedge on the tree. I tell you stories like that. I tell you stories like honking the, now every once in a while, you guys take advantage. Every once in a while, one of you is like, I can't believe my pastor would honk the horn in a Florida park. Whatever, okay? What reason I'm, at, reason I'm doing that is not to get laughs. I want to show, I don't want you to go, I mean, the, what, the, what Paul did is he never said, hey, look how strong I am or look how stoic I am or look how I got my act together. He's never trying to have people look at his flesh and say how awesome he is. He is always trying to say, look how awesome Jesus is. Look at the fact that he can take a messed up wretch like me and actually do it and sends me out. And so um, when you look at it, he, he's, it's the way, he, the way he saw other people and the way he saw himself. And that's kind of how I'm going to end. When he revisited his testimony, it always reminded him how he saw other people. I mean, think about this. This is a guy... This is the guy, this is the guy that wrote 1 Corinthians 13. Some of y'all, you've heard that in a wedding. Love is patient, love is kind. <laughs> you wrote that? The guy that was killing grandma, that's who wrote that. He wrote that, but he, it changed him. Um, he was dragging people off, basically saying, I'm dragging you off so you can go to hell. I mean, that's what he thought is in that time. He's like, I'm dragging you off so you can go to hell, you blasphemer. And then you go up to some mysterious chapter like Romans 9, and Romans 9 says, if I could, I would go to hell for you. If I could, if I could go to hell for you, I would do that. That's a different person. The way he saw people, and the way he saw himself. This is the guy that on one hand would, no swagger at all. This is the guy that says, I'm the foremost of sinners. Not I was the foremost of sinners. He's like, I am currently, present tense, the foremost of sinners. But then on the other hand, man, he could walk with great confidence about what God had done. He's the one that writes Romans 1.8 or 8.1. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this is the guy that did a lot of stuff that could have been condemned. He was able to say, you know what? I'm not, who my, I'm not what my past says I am. I'm not what my... You know, my pedigree says I am. I am who God says I am. And that's what the word some of you need to hear. Some of you need to hear the first part that's like, you know what? I am the foremost of sinners, and i got to just fall in the grace of God. Others of you, you came in here with a lot of shame. You came in here with a lot of, I'm not sure what can do this. And God's saying there's no condemnation. And you're not who others say you are, and you're not what your resume says you are. You are who I say you are. And uh, so here's what I want to, here's kind of how I want you to, we're going to kind of, I want to pray for you on this one, but there's two things. Number one is if you're a Christ follower, I want you to hear, I want you to listen and hear your story afresh and anew again. All this week, I, I got to think back to what it was like. And that's, again, it's awesome to grow up in church and it's such a blessing in a hundred different ways. Have your kids raised in church. I mean, there's a hundred different blessings. One of the very few warnings about that would be that you can sometimes forget what it was like to be lost. That's why when you see adults get, get baptized, when you see adults get baptized, you, you see them come out of that water, Woo-hoo! I mean, they are fired up. You know why? Because they realize I was lost. I was estranged. I was an enemy with God. They understand that. So hear your story again. D. Martin Lloyd Jones said this. He said, the ultimate test of our spirituality is our amazement at the grace of God. Are you still amazed? 
You still amazed at the grace of God when you were singing a few minutes ago, when you were singing those songs and you were, you know, how great thou art? Were you kind of sitting there like, hey, you know, whatever, I got a cup of coffee, I'm looking at this hero thing, not sure. Or were you like amazed that the God of the universe calls you by name? Go back to that. Go back to that. And secondly, just make sure you have a story. Make sure you have a story. What I said at the beginning, don't assume, well, I'm hoping it works out in the end. If you don't have a story, it's a newsflash. It doesn't. It doesn't work out in the end if you just kind of maybe play it right. God's told you what the end looks like, and he told you the way it can work out awesome. And that's by repenting and believing in his son, Jesus, who already died the death you deserve to die. That's the way it works. And so God's been kind of talking to your heart, and whether it be through people or circumstances, like now is the time, now is the time. Why are you putting that off? Why are you putting that off? I guess awesome. I had a family member. I had a family member just last week. We've been praying for her for like three years. Family member watching the webcast, gives her life to Christ last Sunday afternoon. I'm like, that's awesome. That's amazing. And what her story is can be your story. So why would you wait till like next week or the week after that right now? So just bow your heads and close your eyes. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're a Christian, just say, dear God, dear God, don't ever let me get used to the amazing grace. Don't ever let me get used to the amazing grace. Help me be like the angels you talk about in 1 Peter that look down at the gospel and it's, they're stunned. More than the miracles, more than the characters, more than all that, they're stunned at the gospel, the grace of God. God, help me to be like that. Just tell him. God, help me to be like that. Every day, help me to preach the gospel to myself. If you're not a Christ follower yet, but want to be, just right where you are, whether you're at home or in, in a seat, say, dear God, dear God, thank you for living the life that I was supposed to live. And then yet dying in my place, and you call me by name. You call me by name. And God, it's best to know how I'm responding to your invitation today. I'm responding to the invitation of the gospel that what you did on the cross counted for me. It counted for me. And it's best I know how I want to embrace you by faith and say, you're the boss of me. Father, I want to pray for both the Christian and the brand new believer. God, I want to pray so much that we would be amazed every uh, single day at the grace of God. And that would change the way we look at people. That would change the way we look in the mirror. God, that we would walk with, we wouldn't walk with a limp. We wouldn't walk with a strut either. God, I want to pray for the people that are still deciding, do I want to be a Christian? Do I want to be a Christian? Do I want to be a Christian? God, continue, continue whatever you're using, continue to show them. You're calling them by name. You love them. They don't, you don't just love the future version. You love them right where they are. And you can save them this morning. That this morning, this would be the, their story would be, I'm watching online. I'm sitting at a church service and I gave my life to Jesus and nothing's been the same since, that that would be their story. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.